it's now about halfway through Lent, and I don't know how I'm doing. You see, my Lenten journey this year has been a little different than normal. I have been journeying with Mary. Most of us don't think of Mary during Lent. We're too busy thinking about penance and fasting. But Mary is so central to our faith that it's appropriate to make any journey with her. The reason is that I have been doing the 33 Days to Morning Glory Retreat, timing it to end today on the Feast of the Annunciation. It's been quite the journey. In particular, how Mary's own journey takes her to the cross. A sword pierces her soul too. She's there at the foot of the cross when Jesus commissions her to be the mother of the world. Consecrating ourselves or entrusting it all to Mary is not something that comes easily for me. I prefer to go straight to Jesus, but if God himself entrusted the salvation of the world to this woman, to Mary, and Mary's yes led to the birth of Christ, then I guess I can also entrust it all to Mary, that Christ will be born in me too. Happy Feast of the Annunciation. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. I'm Emily Callen. I'm Billy Chan. Hello, and again, we're all three, all three here, and we have a painted... Finally. Painted studio. <laughs> we have a beautiful... One step at a time, right? I suppose nobody can see it because it's radio. And if we say that it's a beautiful gray, nobody's <laughs> going to think... It is beautiful. Gray is kind of an in color though now. Gr- so. Gray is an in color, yeah. says Emily. I did not know that. No, my place is not a, that I'm gray. an expert. Is it gray? It's yeah. a, uh, do you think this is more like a charcoal? Yeah. Or charcoal is darker. I don't know. Charcoal would be darker. Anyway, it's gray, but it's a nice gray. So, And, and it's just the beginning of of the improvements as we go exactly. in creating our Salt and Light Hour studio. Um, I, I wanted to mention to the two of you, because I've, I'm obviously on this Mary thing, and, and today, Saturday, May, March 25th, is the Feast of the Annunciation. Mm-hmm. Um, do you guys ever think of Mary during Lent? Is that part of your Lenten? Because it's, it's been a new thing for me this year. Uh, this is, I'm confessing, so I, yeah. I need <laughs> Billy and Emily to help me out here. And there's silence, so clearly, <laughs> clearly they, they no, have no idea. No, I think I've just never, I know you're right that I've never, I think, really thought of a, a direct connection between yeah. Mary and, and Lent necessarily. I mean, I've, you know, right. there's been a connection between Mary and getting closer to Jesus, for example, right? Which, again, is the whole point of Lent, well, is to grow in a relation. Exactly. Once you so, mentioned that, yeah. yes, I never <laughs> thought about that. <laughs> Well, it's, it, it, this is certainly has been this year my Lenten journey. It's kind of Lent journeying with Mary um, towards the cross. And I mean, we know that Mary, that's where she ends up, at the cross, mm-hmm. at the foot of the cross. Mm-hmm. Nobody else ended up at the foot of the cross except Mary with John, the beloved disciple. So uh, Lent is kind of taking right. us there. And there is a beautiful Ignatian tradition, a Jesuit tradition that says that even though it's not in the Gospels, that the first person Jesus appeared to was actually Mary because it makes sense that he would appear to his mother first. So that's what I'm thinking towards the resurrection. Anyway, I just thought I'd throw that out there for what it's worth. Well, it's definitely going to nourish all my reflection. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking <laughs> oh now you see my brain? Yeah. Yes, oh, yes. We can that? hear you thinking. 
Okay, so anyway, today is a usual show format. Emily will start off with our news. Yep. I'm not sure if you want to share any headlines right now. Uh, there's there's three of them. Okay. An announcement of a trip. Okay. I can say that much, maybe. Okay, that's it. No, we'll, we'll get details later. Uh, after that, Billy will be here, or still here, with... Uh, for the Church for Dummies. Are we continuing Church for Dummies, questioning yes. on the Bible? We are still talking about Bible, and yeah. I want to have a little wrap-up. A wrap-up. Yes, on those questions that I have asked for the last two yeah, times. Yeah, I know. Billy, we, we talk about we talk about it here <laughs> on the radio once a week, but we spent all week talking yeah, about it. it 24 it, hours 20, a day. Well, no, I'm not talking to Billy 24 <laughs> hours a day. Anyway, so after Church for Dummies, and Jillian Cantor will be here. She's our parenting expert, and she's going to tell us what she learned from her kids in the last couple months. Mm. And after that, connect on Connect 5, Sebastian Gomes will speak with Sister Nula Kenny. She's an ethicist and medical doctor, and they speak about the physician-assisted dying bill. Uh, in Canada, we're all familiar with that, and and I know that both of you have heard of the Upper Room. Yes, I believe Emily, I've you been were there. there. You were there last year, about a year ago. Yes, exactly. The when Senegal. we did the pilgrimage to the Holy, yes, exactly. The what Senegal. was your impressions of the Upper Room? Um, they weren't what I. Ex- it wasn't what I expected. No, I mean because it it, it might not really be that room. Well, it probably so, wasn't yeah. that room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Chances are it wasn't that room. But did you, did you, you had a quiet moment there, didn't you? I did. Well, I, I mean, I did a reflection on the yeah. upper room on the, on the last uh, supper. Okay. Um, so, I mean, even, even though that, that is probably not the place where they had the last, last supper, just to be there in this empty space. Reflecting. Reflecting yeah. on that. Well, you would like this book. Because so in our second half hour, I'm going to be speaking with Monsignor Peter Vaghi. He wrote this book. It's called Meeting God in the Upper Room, Three Moments to Change Your Life. Mm -hmm. He reflects on three significant church events that take place in the upper room because we we all talk about the Last Supper. But that's probably that's also where Jesus within that one event appeared in there after the resurrection. Mm -hmm. That's where Pentecost happened. Um, there's a lot of things that happened in the upper room. And and, and so Monsignor Vaghi in the book shares how these three moments will change your life. Mm. So we're going to be speaking uh, with him in about 25 minutes. And after that, we're going to be reconnecting with uh, singer-songwriter, Canadian singer-songwriter and worship leader, Chris Bray. I know Emily follows him on Facebook. Um, He has a new album, Joy in My Heart. And so we're going to start, as we always do, with a song from that album. Here's Chris Bray with Trust in You from his new album, Joy in My Heart. I will trust in you. and downs, sleepless nights, darkest hours, but God, you never fade. From broken homes to fallen tears, waiting days and months and years, but God, you always stay.
doubts, regret The suffering's not finished yet God endured the same I will trust, I will trust in you And everything's not as it's supposed to I will go, I will follow where you lead me oh, I will trust, I will trust in you I know you make all things through And you are with me, you beside me I will trust in you was Chris Bray with Trust in You from his new album Joy in My Heart and we're going to be speaking with Chris Bray in our second half hour and in 10 minutes what I learned from my kids with Jillian Cantor but first Emily is still here with our news. Yes, exactly. So I was saying that uh, there was an announcement mm -hmm, of a trip. It. Exactly. So it's going to be the Pope's first international trip at the end of April. For two days, he will be going to Cairo in Egypt. Oh, he is? Oh, wow. Um, this is quite significant. So this is 17 years after John Paul II went. He went in 2000. And um, he didn't just go to Cairo when he was there. But uh, the Pope will only be stopping in Cairo. Mm -hmm. He'll be uh, going to the Al-Azhar University, um, meet the Grand imam uh, who is basically the the highest authority in uh, in the Sunni uh, okay. religion yeah. and um, so this is this is significant I mean uh, there's the relations between the Holy See and the university have uh, been growing especially mm -hmm. since the election of Pope Francis uh, the imam <laughs> the grand imam went to the Vatican last year uh, to meet the Pope and uh Recently, there was a seminar on uh, on how um, religions can combat extremism and, and violence okay. in the name of religion. So, so it's an interfaith. Mm -hmm. the, the voyage has an interfaith dimension, right. um, as well as an ecumenical one, because as we know, Pope Francis, when he does these trips, of like course. he's always there to support the Christians, especially the Christian minorities, which again, and so they are a minority yes, here in Egypt. So okay, so good. So at the end of April, and you can probably watch that on Salt and Light Television. Yes, and we'll probably be talking about it on Vatican Connections Absolutely. as well. Uh, so at the end of last week, Pope Francis celebrated the penitential liturgy in St. Peter's Basilica. So this he does 
every year. Um, he gives a homily and he also uh, hears, he heard confessions. He heard confessions of three men and four women. And uh, in his homily, he offered three tips on what makes a good confessor. So he said that a good confessor is a true friend of Jesus, so someone who cultivate cultivates a friendship with Jesus through prayer, being aware as well that you're forgiven so that you can forgive as well, that that is possible for someone else. Um, A good confessor um, is a discerning person, so he listens to the Holy Spirit and the will of God and also recognizes that confession is a place for evangelization, so Mm -hmm. that it's a place where we can encounter God in his mercy. Um, Lastly, the Holy See donated $1 million um, for the restoration of the Basilica of the Nativity in Bethlehem and the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. Yeah, so, I mean, the restorations, um, you know, take place all the time in these places, but uh, here the Holy See donated uh, $1 million. So Mm -hmm. the first half of that um, is going to... Uh, to work on the Basilica of the Nativity and the other half is going for a new phase of work on the Edikul where the Holy Sepulchre is located. Yeah. Exactly. Um, And the statement from the custody of the Holy Land said that as Pope Francis has stressed care and concern for these two holy places which for centuries have nourished the faith of the church and that of countless pilgrims are a sign and expression of love for Christ himself. Right. So very Good. important for us to restore these places. It is absolutely. And that's mm-hmm. something that is also a Lenten thing because yes. every year I know that there's a collection on parishes worldwide on Good Friday exactly. to collect funds. Why? For the custody to support the religious sites in yeah, the, and not in the just Holy for the, Land. Exactly. Not just for the restoration yes. of the buildings, but also to support the communities that absolutely. are, are the there. the Christians that are there. Mm-hmm. Um, so the fact that the Vatican donated doesn't mean that we shouldn't donate because you should. So exactly. make sure that you're uh, supporting the custody of the Holy Land. Uh, most of that, I think, is run by the Franciscans as well. So thank you. Good, Lots Welcome. of good news. There you go. Um, Emily Callan, you can watch her every Friday at 8 p.m., Eastern on Vatican Connections on Salt and Light Television. You can watch it online on demand at saltandlighttv.org and also on our Roku channel. Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Daniel Oberreiter, lead singer of the Catholic rock band The Thirsting, and you are listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pig. If you missed any part of this program or want to hear a segment again, just go to saltandlighttv.org slash radio or subscribe to the Salt and Light Hour podcast on iTunes. Now it's time for... Church for Dummies. With Billy Chan. <laughs> so. Thank you. Billy. Yes. You want to keep talking about the Bible, don't you? I, I want to keep talking about the Bible. Um, you know, let me tell everyone a secret. The conversation outside of this studio is always amazing. Yes, it with is. With you. you know, y- usually, usually around the lunch table. Yes, it's a, I, I would say yes, it's better to than the show. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, so people have to listen to our lunchtime conversations. I would like to have a little wrap-up. A wrap-up? Yeah, mm-hmm. on, on, on the two questions that we have asked. Okay. And there is a follow-up after that. Yes. So, for example, uh, we, we have talked about why do we believe in the Bible, mm-hmm. which is for a person we trust. Mm-hmm. And also we have talked about the story of Adam and Eve, which is not um, physically true. Mm-hmm. Can I say that? Or historical true? Not factually true. Or factually true. Is what I would say. Okay. And, you know, that actually lead to a, you know, a logical question now. Because, uh, you know, what is not true? And we actually, you, you actually make me more dumb. <laughs> after, you understand what I mean? After, after you said this. And the next question would be, how? That means, 
you know, uh, we we believe in the Bible, and something is not true. Yeah, it's not factually true. Yeah, can you explain more? Yeah, I will actually. Um, thank you for asking. Um, and and this is not my own explanation. I actually asked that question. Yeah. To a priest friend of mine, 15 years ago, and this is what he said. He said, "If you ask, let's say, a three-year-old boy, uh-huh. how tall is your dad?" Mm. He will probably say, "My dad is 50 feet tall." Yeah. Okay, is that true or false? That means very tall. Okay, so you know, you're right. You're right. Uh-huh. So factually, of course, his dad's not 50 feet tall, but the truth of what the child is saying is that his dad is a lot taller than he is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that statement, while it's not factually true, is actually truth. And that's the difference. Now, the other, th- does that make sense? Yeah, it, it, yeah, okay, really see, I, I see how I, the pen I really dropped. like that. Okay, so, um, and the other thing we have to understand about the Bible is that it's not, it, it's not one book. There's 70, oh my gosh, now I'm gonna have listeners telling me that I'm wrong. I think it's 76 <laughs> books, um, right? It's it, And there's, there are allegories, there's poetry, there's historical stuff, there's war, there's sexuality, like there's, there's there are, there are alle- you know, alle- I said allegories, there there's metaphors, you know? So there's all kinds of different genres of writing. Mm-hmm. So when we're reading the Bible, we have to understand like, oh, is this a poem, right? Because when you read a poem, you know it's poetry. You're not thinking, oh, this is a historical event. It's factual, right? So I think that, that we need to understand what the genre of what we're reading is before we start reading That's it. That's actually very difficult for people yes. to read the Bible. Yes. For example, if I choose randomly any book I want to read, yes. I need to adjust my, my thinking before, right? Yes. So, for example, if I read um, um, the book of Genesis, mm-hmm. I need to read the symbolism. Yes. Um, you know, what, what is it actually telling me? Mm-hmm. And if I read the gospel, it's actually happening. It's different. Yeah, it's different. And you not only, you, you have to think of it symbolically, for example, the book of Genesis, but uh-huh. you, have to, you have to understand what the symbolism was at the time that they wrote the book when it got written. Because if the way, let's say, Jewish people or Hebrew people, how they understand symbolism, the use of numbers, you know, like they say, you know, Abraham lived to be 800 years or whatever. Clearly, he didn't live 800 years. Um, Well, maybe, maybe, but I don't think we believe that he lived. What does that mean? It means that, you know, or 40 years in the desert, what does that number 40 represent? It wasn't literally 40 years. It was one generation because one generation was 40 years. So I think you have to understand how they used symbols. So does it mean that, you know, when we read Bible, it's always better to have somebody beside us? I think so. um, Who who know know the Bible, definitely? Yeah, or a study guide. Study guide. A study guide. There are lots of books out there, lots of that will tell you a little bit about the historical context, about the culture, about the symbolism, um, and and I think uh, and 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 yeah, commentaries are a great way to uh, help uh, and help us understand no the Bible. There's no stand away no. to actually read the Bible myself. No, no, but I think that with help is, mm-hmm. is the standard way. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I hope that uh, that answers that. I'm sure that I can see Billy's thinking. He's, we're going to have <laughs> more, more questions here, but I, but I hope that that helps. Um, absolutely, we need to read the Bible in the context, in in the con in a context. No, that's a lot more clear now because yes. now I know. You know, I do not. I cannot actually. If if there's something that is not logical for me, yes. it doesn't mean that not logical. Yes, absolutely. If there's something else. Absolutely. Outside. That, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Good. Thank you, Billy Chan, Church for Dummies. Um, Billy Chan is a seasoned radio host, and he's the webmaster behind SaltandLightTV.org. And you can follow him and ask him questions for this segment at B Joe Chan. Hello, this is Danielle Rose, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro.
I'm Deacon Pedro. You can find me on Facebook. Just look for Deacon Pedro. And you can also follow me on Twitter at Deacon Pedro GM. And now it's time for What I Learned From My Kids with Jillian Cantor. Jillian, welcome back. Thank you so much. You keep, every time I talk to you, it's welcome back. It's welcome back. <laughs> it's been yeah, so I long. I was going to say, welcome, Happy New Year. I haven't spoken to you since December, I think. And I think I heard Janie back there. Yep. Should I be welcome, Jane, to the Jane program? Here, and Annie's also skipping around. Oh, so. Annie's skipping around. Hello, ladies. Hmm. I guess they're not old enough to be in school yet. No. Well, Annie has two mornings a week, but... Oh, good. Not right now. Good. So. No, not right now. Not today. No. So so in the, the last month since we spoke, you must have learned something from your children. Oh, all the time we're learning things. And I think this lesson that we're going to talk about today has a lot to do with trust. Okay. Um, it all starts with a birthday party. Uh, back in January, we hosted Joseph's friends for a birthday party for, for him. Uh-huh. Uh, his birthday is actually in December, but December is a crazy time to have a child. Yes. Or, and then in the future years, host birthday parties. Yes. So we don't. We host them in January. Um, and so we had about six or seven of Joseph's friends over, uh, and it was a great time. We celebrated under with the theme lego olympics oh fun and um i do like to plan activities to keep the kids busy so they had um, a number it was a decathlon of building events um some were team sports some were individual events and they just various challenges they had fun i loved it uh david reported if he was eight years old he would have been very happy to be at that birthday party fun. it was just a lot of fun mm-hmm. um and Joseph was beaming, so that was great. It was just good to celebrate him and have fun with his friends. Um, until later that evening, it was probably about 10 o'clock, and uh, I could hear a sobbing Joseph in his room, and so I went to find out what was the trouble, and he just had this very sad look on his face, and he said, I just don't ever want to leave here. And I said, well, where are you going? What are you talking about? And his little eight-year-old mind had traveled far, far into the future, and he was imagining when he would have to, to be grown up and to leave this house for good, to, be, to go and do grown-up things. And I, he, it's very funny. Joseph is um, an eight-year-old version of me, and so I can understand where this comes from from him, and I, I know how his brain gets there, but it doesn't make it any easier to dissuade those sorts of worries. Um, but what he said to me that broke my heart, <laughs> because mm-hmm. it's so true, he said, it's just that the days and the weeks, they go by so fast. I'm afraid the years will too. And I just, we both, we both looked at each other and started to cry because that's exactly what moms feel like. It feels like the, yes. before you know it, bam, kids are moving away. They've grown up and they're gone and they've moved out the house. And one thing, you, one minute you were just celebrating their eighth birthday, and then the next they're grown up and gone. Mm-hmm. So when we take a step back from it, what we see there is that Joseph just had a really good day, and this is this was home to him, and this feels good, and this is what he knows, and this is what he wants forever, and that's reassuring. We're very grateful that we've we've been able to create this sort of environment in our mm-hmm. our home for for our kids. Um, but on the other hand, gee whiz, we sure hope someday they want to leave. No, that's terrible. <laughs> I'm just kidding. 
<laughs> so maybe we should make it a little tough around here. No. Um, so I just I just tried to encourage Joseph to to not look at that big picture quite yet. Um, and the one thing I said, you know, when mommy, um, a few things, when mommy lies in bed and she has all these worries that are entering into her head, I said the hardest thing to do, but the best thing to do is to just tell Jesus that you trust him. And so I just, we just practiced saying that a little bit. Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I trust you. And I said that one of the greatest things about that little prayer is that you're not even telling Jesus what you trust him to do. You're not saying, Jesus, I trust in you to blah, 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 fill in the blank, like just to, but you're just saying, you're stopping the prayer at Jesus, I trust you. And then whatever it is that he needs to take care of, he'll take care of it, and we don't have to worry about it. And one of the things about having a child that is so very much like you is that when you are trying to help them, the things that come out of your mouth are in many ways just laughable, because those things that I'm telling him, Jesus, I trust in you, Jesus, I trust in you, do I really do those things myself, for myself, in the middle of the night when I'm having my panic attacks <laughs> because I'm thinking about them growing up too fast or just their, their safety or whatever it is, whatever the, the worry of the moment is, I don't know that I can always trust in Jesus. And so to be able to lie there with my son and just hold him in my arms and to say those words with him really helped me calm myself down and... And now I do, I think of that moment when I'm trying to not panic or when I'm trying to say those words myself. If I want my eight-year-old to believe me, then I have to believe myself too. I, I need to, to put that trust in Jesus um, to take care of whatever it is, whatever the worry is, even the worries I haven't even thought of yet. <laughs> so, so it starts with a birthday party. It ends with a lot of trust. And then somewhere along the way, they will grow up and leave, but hopefully we've given them the tools that they can. They'll always have that. They'll always have that relationship with Jesus to guide them. So. Yes, that's a lesson that all of us need to be uh, reminded of. I think uh, often. So thank you. Um, my oldest, well, you know, is twenty, and the mm-hmm. younger one is now eighteen, so finishing high school. So and I we're, remember we're them at the when other end. I know. Toddlers. They do grow. They so. haven't said they wanted to move out yet, but. <laughs> <laughs> but it's going to happen eventually. So trust for us parents that they'll be fine and, and they need to also learn trust. Yep. So thank you. Thank well, you thank to you. you and Joseph for that lesson today. <laughs> Jillian Cantor is the producer of the Salt and Light TV program Mothering Full of Grace. And she's the wife of David and the mother of Joseph, Henry, Annie, Clara, and Jane. Hi, I'm Dan Schutte. You're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. How are you going to spend the next five minutes of your time? How about listening in, meeting a fascinating person, and learning something relevant that will broaden your perspective? Sit down with Sebastian Gomes and go straight to the heart of the matter. Here's Connect 5. Today, Sebastian speaks with Sister Nula Kenny about Bill C-14, which legalized assisted dying in Canada. Sister Nula, after the Supreme Court case, the Carter case, uh, in February 2015, it was left to the Canadian government to come up with legislation for medically assisted dying in Canada, and that finally took place in June of 2016 under uh, Justin Trudeau's liberal government. Mm -hmm. Um, 
the bill passed the House, it went to the Senate, there was a lot of debate, eventually we ended up with a bill. What do we need to know about what transpired in June of 2016 regarding this legislation? So the first thing is, you're correct, in February of 2015, the Supreme Court decriminalized, decriminalized uh, a physician-assisted death, which was the topic uh, under consideration at the time, for a certain select criteria of, of, of individuals. Uh, they had to be competent, was voluntary, they in fact were having a grievous medical condition, they had endurable suffering, um, and the, 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 the issue then was these people were eligible. The complex issue throughout from Bill C-4, from the Supreme Court to Bill C-14 was whether or not this was about end of life or broader than that. Because the Supreme Court decision didn't say The Supreme Court anything. decision not only did not say it was about terminal illness and or end of life care, which is what most people thought was happening, it was the broadest, the most liberal, as I said, uh, end of life legislation in, in the world. So it was extending to all kinds of grievous medical conditions with endurable suffering for persons that was not curable. Most things that you have, <laughs> medicine can do some cures, but not most. So it, it, adult, a little bit defined, make it, made it 18, still endurable, uh, enduring suffering, determined by the patient. But on this contentious issue, the Bill C-14, and this was back and forth, very, very um, vicious kind of argument at times, uh, the, the final bill added uh, that there had to be reasonably foreseen death, which is of course now being challenged because what the heck does that mean? Right. But what they were trying to do, uh, the liberals were trying to take into account the concern that this originally had intended to be in some way related to terminal illness or end-of-life care. So, so that was. The Bill C-14 did clarify some things. It did make an attempt to try to narrow it to this reasonably foreseen death, bringing it back to what I think most persons had thought they were supporting in all of this, no matter how wrong-minded I think that is. Um, but that's being challenged. Then the other thing you need to know is at the level of vulnerable persons and using that criteria of reasonably foreseen death, just in yesterday's newspaper, a story of the number of cases of persons who are contesting that constraint in Bill C-14 already. Has that, su that surprised you, how many people, because when, I, when we saw the, the legislation go through, I mean, in the, in the Catholic Christian kind of circles, we were like, say, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is it's happening. So, it's so broad. And you're then you right. have other people who are saying, oh my nope. gosh, I can't believe this is happening because it's so restrictive. But what you're seeing there, my friend, is exactly the degree of polarization that we have about this issue. Yeah. So some, for some people, the Supreme Court decision was nirvana. We've now, we've got the best process in the world. Anybody for any serious medical condition, whatever serious means, because we haven't defined that, can in fact request and receive this. And the doctors are, who receive the request really are obliged either to do it or if not do it, get them to someone who can do it. This is like for Christian Catholics, mind-boggling in the breath, slight narrowing after there's a discussion from different perspectives about vulnerability and conscience, and then we get this bill that is barely fulfilling some obligations of protection for the vulnerable. It's still not good enough. I know from those who are pro-Supreme Court decision as it stood that they anticipate again and again and again 
that they'll eat away at it, so there'll be no restrictions. And, I, and I've even heard, uh, uh, you know, members of the of the current Liberal government saying this is a beginning. We had to start somewhere, so that is kind of explains some of the restrictions. Certainly, this is not going to go away, and we're going to be struggling with this for a long time to come. Sister Nula, thanks very much. You're very welcome. That was Sebastian Gomes speaking with ethicist and medical doctor Sister Nula Kenny. You can watch this and more interviews at saltandlighttv.org slash connect5 and also on our Roku channel. Coming up in our second half hour, meeting God in the upper room and a featured chat with Chris Bray, so don't go anywhere. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. I'm sure that most of you have heard of the upper room or the expression the upper room. It's often this room referred to as the cenacle. This is the room where all four Gospels tell us that Jesus ate the Last Supper with his apostles. Tradition also says that this was the room where the disciples probably stayed when they were in Jerusalem. So this is where they hid during the arrest and crucifixion. This is where they stayed Uh, where Jesus appeared to them after the resurrection, where Thomas doubted and believed, and where they waited for and received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Those are all key moments in the story of our church, and they all took place in that same room, the upper room. There is now a book that captures the various ways in which we continue to meet the risen Lord, all in that spirit, the spirit of the upper room. And to tell us more, I am now joined by the author of Meeting God in the Upper Room, Monsignor Peter Vaghi. Monsignor, welcome to the program. Deacon, thanks so much for having me on, and listeners, thanks for listening. That's great. So what inspired you to write this book? How did you make that connection? Well, I led a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. We visited the Upper Room, the Cenacle, as you mentioned, yep. and that, that spurred it on. But what really got me was I was doing my retreat um, before Lent, and my spiritual director said, I want you to spend a couple weeks in the Upper Room with the farewell discourse of Jesus, John 14 to 17. Right. And when I, that was really what convicted me. And then it came to me that, that all, there are three key moments historically, but they continue today, whenever we seek God and his church as the disciples did then. As you mentioned, the first is the Last Supper and everything that right. took place at the Last Supper. The second is the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus on mm-hmm. Easter Sunday night, and third, then, is the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Right. So those, uh, and I think everybody would agree, those are pretty important moments. Now, you also make the connection that those are, there's three, maybe not three, not those three moments, but there are four sacraments that are related to the upper room. Certainly the Eucharist, the Eucharist. and the Holy Orders yes. um, uh, uh, take place uh, in penance. And then right. the Confirmation, it has its origin in the imposition of hands, but in a certain way it perpetuates the grace of Pentecost that took place in the upper room. Right, right. So can you tell us a little, go back, because this is a moment that I think most people are not familiar, but that, that long uh, discourse in the Gospel of John, that's sometimes referred to as Jesus' Eucharistic prayer or his, his, his farewell prayer or that, that long. Tell us how significant that is, because... Oh, I think it's, ve- it's very significant. Thanks for asking that. It, it, it's, it's, I've, I've preached about it, saying it's the, the longest farewell address yes. we, we know in history. It, it showed it was the night uh, before Jesus died, and it was 
uh, at the time of the of the Last Supper, and mm-hmm. he was basically giving them some some last minute guidance. But the point I always pick on is in John seventeen, we listen and eavesdrop on the prayer life of Jesus. Mm-hmm. He was praying to his Father. He was praying for for those who were there. He was praying importantly for those who, because of their word, would come to him. So in a certain sense, he was praying for us, you and me today, right. at the Last Supper, moments before he was going off to be crucified. Right. Now, do you see, maybe this is not a fair question, but is there a significance that that specific address or that, that prayer takes place in that room? Well, I think in a way it kind of um, it confirms everything that he had been doing there. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he called them his friends. It was there that he, he told them to, to, to do this in memory of me, right. uh, with, the, with Holy Orders, with the Eucharist. Um, it's, it's there where he washed the feet of the disciples. And right. a lot about, uh, uh, that. I've called that the icon of Catholic social teaching. It's, yes. Uh, it's uh, putting our social life, social teaching, to work. Mm-hmm. And that was also linked into the part of the farewell address, which was to, to love one another as I've loved you. Right. Now, some people might be listening and they might think, um, well, that's all, it's great, it's interesting, it's, it's history, it's part of my faith, but what does it really have to do with my life today? That's the key question and point of the book. And when we experience the presence of God or when we experience Him or He seeks us out and we respond we are having upper moon, upper room experiences in the same way the disciples did then. Certainly in the sacraments we've just mentioned, whenever we serve, uh, washing of feet or any service project, servant leadership we experience today, the grace of the upper room. In our prayer lives, we, we do the profession of faith, St. Thomas on Easter Sunday night, right. my Lord and my God. When we yes. make our creed profession on Sunday, for example, that is a way of the continuing graces that come from that room, the gifts of the Holy Spirit that come to us, the um, when we do, it was in the presence of Mary that the Holy Spirit came. Our Marian prayer, our devotion to Mary, is also a current, present-day uh, experience of what they experienced in the upper room. Right. And finally, the, the moving forth with bold joy to preach the uh, after Pentecost. That's Pope Francis tells us we're to be uh, disciples. Um, to uh, missionary disciples, and that, that's an expression of that as well. Mm-hmm. These are all these different areas that take place in our current spiritual journey. They are akin to upper room experiences. Do you think that that expression, and I, I guess you've, I don't know, I don't know if, you're, if I can credit you for the, this, this expression, that, that we have an upper room experience, um, it, it's similar or the same as what is often referred to as a mountaintop experience? I think it's different. Okay. I think a mountaintop would be more focused on prayer, if I understand it. Okay. Uh, but this this is a little richer because the upper room is really an icon, is it not, of the living church today? Okay. I have one great quote I would like to share if we have time. Yes. It's from Pope Francis when he went and he visited the upper room in May of 2014, mm-hmm. and he said in his homily in that uh, that day in the upper room, "How much love and goodness have flowed from the upper room? How much charity has gone forth from here, like a river from its source?" beginning as a stream and then expanding and becoming a great torrent. All the saints drew from this source, and hence the great river of the Church's holiness continues to flow from the heart of Christ, from the Eucharist, and from the Holy Spirit. Right. That's a beautiful way of summarizing, and in, in, certainly in our, our Holy Father's wonderful way, mm-hmm. what is happening today in, in our own life. 
right. because of the historical activity in that room. Mm-hmm. Now the subtitle, and, and we've been talking about these the, the moments. Uh, there, there are, we, you mentioned we've mentioned more than three, but in the book you specifically focus on the three moments, and you say that these are three moments that will change, will change my life. So how how will these three moments? Well, the last supper. The last supper. Yeah, for sure. That's one, and that would be the Eucharist. Um, okay. That would be me as a priest, of course. You can mm-hmm. I mean the the sacrament of holy orders. Uh, it would would also be um, uh, the washing of the feet whenever we mm-hmm. whenever we serve, serve others in charity. That perdures and continues what happened historically that night. Um, then the second would be the uh, post resurrection appearances. That's in John twenty. That is the uh, Easter Sunday night when when he came and he breathed on them and the sacrament of penance was instituted so mm-hmm. when we receive the sacrament we we the graces that took place from that that night continue also the, the emerging faith of Thomas when he said my lord and my god mm-hmm. and that's uh, that's our creed when we profess and live and witness the 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 faith and then the third one would be the coming of the Holy Spirit. Pentecost. The coming of the Spirit comes to us at confirmation, at baptism, when we pray for the coming of the Holy Spirit in the presence of Mary. And Mary's right. presence there is an important uh, part of our, our spiritual journey as well because of the the Marian prayer that is a part of our lives. Yeah, of course, and I and I, I really appreciate that you always remind us that Mary Mary was there. Sometimes people forget that. Um, maybe just in closing, how, I mean, it's a, it's a great book. It's an interesting read. It's, it's good spiritual reading. Do you think that this is a book that people can pray with? Is that oh, what, yes. Is that your fact, hope? There have been people who have, um, who have critiqued the book, uh, and they say that it's, and particularly during this time before, before Easter, it's a great book, um, and people tell me this, it's helping them in their Lenten journey and their journey right. toward Easter and Pentecost. Right. But there are references in it, there are citations in it, that one can go back to Scripture, for example, and, and read the full text. Mm-hmm. It's not a long book, it's a short book. But it hopefully would be a companion for for these days in preparation for Easter as well. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I agree with that. And I started the program by saying that this would be a great book to read during Lent, and and I did exactly that. I kept reading the book and going back to Scripture and, and sort of comparing, saying I don't remember that, and checking. So thank you very much for writing it. Thank you for sharing a little bit of uh, what you do and 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 your thoughts uh, with us today. Deacon, thank you so much, and thanks to all of you up there at the Salt and Light in Canada, Monsignor. Peter Voggy is the pastor of the Church of the Little Flower in Bethesda, Maryland, in the Archdiocese of Washington. He is the author of several books and articles. His latest, Meeting God in the Upper Room, Three Moments to Change Your Life, is published by Franciscan Media. You can purchase the book and read a sample of the book at shop.franciscanmedia.org. And also, of course, you can purchase it through Amazon, amazon.com or amazon.ca. Here now is our featured Artist of the Week, Chris Bray, with Molly's song from his new album, Joy in My Heart. I didn't notice the time going by Between when she took her first steps, had her first cry All that I wanted was her to be mine But I knew that a man would be here in no time I put her in my lap with her favorite bear Said I love you, remember, and started to share Love that's unending is love that's divine Love that's unceasing was here before time You can get married when the times arrive But he's gotta love you and Jesus more than his own life 
didn't take long, there was glitter and curls. My little baby was spinning in twirls. Came home from school, asked me when she could wed. She'd met a boy in just kindergarten. I put her in my lap and gave her a kiss. I told her I loved her and remember this. Love that's unending is love that's divine. Love that's unceasing was here before time. You can get married when the time's right, but he's got than Jesus more than his own life. Love that's unending is love that's divine. Love that's unceasing was here before time. You can get married when the time's right. He's got a you and Jesus more than his own life. In a blink of an eye, you'll be standing in white with the friends and our family gathered that night. In a church within I'll let you be his wife. But he's got a and Jesus more than his own life. Love you and Jesus more than his own life. Love you and Jesus more than his own life. That was Chris Bray with Molly's song from his new album, Joy in My Heart. This is probably the third or fourth time that Chris Bray makes an appearance on the Salt and Light Hour. That's because he's good and because he's busy. Chris is in full-time ministry. He travels, leading worship, playing concerts, and speaking to various groups. Chris has received multiple Gospel Music Association Covenant Awards and numerous top 10 and number one hit songs on Christian radio in Canada. Chris just released his latest album, Joy in My Heart, which we've been listening to. And to tell us all about it, I am now joined by Chris Bray. Chris, welcome back to the Salt and Light Hour. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you. So, uh, this is, I, I was going to ask you, I, well, I was going to guess, but I have no clue. What, what number album is this? Well, it's hard to count. This is okay, see, okay, I so I don't feel so bad. Well, this is what I consider my, my real number five. Okay. Um, I, I had one prior to my very, very first one. Yes, which I don't even manufacture anymore, because it was so long ago, <laughs> and it was my first attempt. So I don't count that one. But this is this is number five. So this is the number number five album. What mm-hmm. what is different about this album for you? Well, I think personally, the the songs on this album are inspired by real life events. Being a father, being a husband, uh, living my faith, and seeing how God is working in our lives has inspired me to write different kinds of songs that I have in the past. Right. Uh, in previous albums, there were songs that were more geared toward praise and worship, and there's a little bit of that in this album, but a lot of the songs have these stories behind yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. These circumstances of these moments or some way that God intervened 
uh, and spoke to me in my life and just kind of inspired me to write it. Yeah. Okay. So, so at this point, this is this is a, this is the point of the interview when I say congratulations on baby girl number five, right? So you talked about being a parent. You got five daughters. Um, you're you you do all that you do, but you're also at home. You're a dad and you're a husband. Um, the song that we just heard, Molly's song. I know Molly is your eldest. No. Yes. Molly's your eldest. Turning eight at the end of this month. And she wants to get married. Tell me about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a few years ago. It was her first year uh, at school. She'd go to Catholic school and junior kindergarten. She gets off the bus the very first week of school, and this is a monumental time for my wife and I. You know, we, we now we have three kids in school, but yeah. then it was like this was our first the first new life experience yeah. for us and for her. She gets off the bus and she says, "Dad, I'm, I'm getting married." <laughs> said, what? <laughs> What's going on? So I brought her home and sat her down and. and Said, yep, Dad. I, I met a boy on the bus. His name is Owen, and we're going to get married. And I said, "Oh boy, did we have to talk?" <laughs> and uh, I said, "I said to her, I said, you know, if God's calling you to get married, He's going to put that perfect man in your life, and then you know, you can bring him home to mom and dad, and we'll, we'll see." <laughs> you know, but, but I said, "I said He's got to love you, and He's got to love Jesus yes. more than His very own life, and that's really the theme of the song." Yes, absolutely. And just like that song, as you mentioned, there are other songs that are inspired by. You know, like, like the first, I think it's the first track, the What Is Heaven Like? It's clearly a conversation that you had with some little person at bedtime, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, would you say, would you say then, I mean, this is not your typical Chris Bray worship album. Yeah, it's a different, I think it's probably some of the most personal writing I've ever done. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, uh, it's because my last album was live and it was, a yes. collection of sort of well-known praise and worship songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been really four years of, of songwriting all compressed into one, mm-hmm. one album. And so there's a lot of different kinds of songs, a lot of different stories. Yes. Um, and it's really, I'm just really excited for people to hear these songs that I've been sharing from the stage and from when I do parish missions and that sort of thing, uh, and for people to be able to hear them on this record. Right. How do you... I don't know if I've ever asked you this, but how do you normally write music? Do you are you, are you constantly writing? Do you think of melodies? Do you like with this with stories? Was that a different style of writing for you? Yeah, it was a little different process for me. I, I know that you know you talk to all the really great songwriters, and they say you have to write every day. Hmm. And I wish I had the time for that. Uh, maybe one day I will. But I find that God inspires me to write in particular seasons. And there'll be some seasons of life where I will be writing a song every day or one a week or what have you. And, and I find it's often uh, God will just inspire a melody or a story based on a circumstance. Mm-hmm. Or, um, and, and I'll just find the opportunity to collect my thoughts on it and, and sit down and, and write it. And, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> for every one song that makes it on a CD, there's probably 20 others that, that didn't. But uh, it's it's a different process. Each song takes a different shape from a different right. process. Yeah. Um, you've also been busy uh, making these videos, the video, can I call them video reflections, video teachings, all that Catholic yeah. stuff. Um, yeah. I know I get them in my email. So what inspired you to, to sort of do that? And what's your hope for those videos? Yeah, well, in my travels, um, because I've, I've traveled to some non-Catholic churches and in Catholic churches as well. And yep. I found that um, I had a love for apologetics and defending the faith, mm-hmm. uh, which was kind of a natural evolution. It uh, just grew out of necessity because I, I didn't know my faith, and I didn't know why we did all these things that we do as Catholics, like what we call priest father and all the objections mm-hmm. to the faith. And 
incense and genuflecting and the priests and the vestments, and I didn't know any of that. Um, I knew we did it, but I didn't I know how to explain it and articulate it. And what I would find is, as I would learn each thing, there would be so much um, logic and reason behind why we do them, and mm-hmm. so much scripture to back it up. And so I thought, hey, you know what, I'm sure I'm not the only one who's been wondering about some of these things. And so each episode, which is about every two weeks, I tackle just some simple thing of the Catholic faith, why we why we use incense, or why we genuflect, or bless with holy water, sacraments, or all, whatever right. kind of topic it is, and uh, just explain it in three to five minute video clips, right. short, simple answers for people to understand. Right, and people can either watch those videos at your website, there I know you put mm-hmm. them on YouTube, but also people can people subscribe and you can put them on your mailing list? Can they get them yeah, via email? Yeah, if, if they go to my website, crispraymusic.com, they can subscribe via email and it gets delivered to their inbox every two weeks. Okay, good. So that's that's good to know. That's good stuff there. Um, anything new coming up for you? I know you're not writing every day, but maybe you're already working on new songs that might end up uh, being a new album. Yeah, I you know I'm constantly just uh, just working away, plugging away. I, I travel a lot, so yes. uh, I'm just on the road right now in the middle of Lent. We're doing parish missions and uh, and uh, different different uh, conferences and that sort of thing coming up. So it'll be a busy travel season until, what, the summer, which I'm a little excited to take some time off and take a little break from that. Good, uh, go spend. Fresh, little retreat. Um, but yeah, so it's it's good. God is good. He's opening doors and he's uh, doing some incredible things uh, all across North America, which has just been incredible to witness. Mm-hmm. Good, yeah. Time off so you can spend time with your girls. Um, yes, that's right. So you said you're busy, but that doesn't mean that you don't still have some time. So if people are listening and they wanted to book you for their parish or their parish mission or their uh, special concert or an event, again, go to Chris's website, chrisbravemusic.com. And uh, that's the easiest way to to keep track of you and also, of course, to buy the music. Chris, we're going to leave it there, but thank you so much. It's good to connect. I was so happy at the beginning of the year when I heard that you had an album coming out and it's literally coming out this week or next week. Um, uh, I thought, oh, great. So we can get him on the show again because your music is always good. It's good stuff to play. So well, thank you. for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for what you do and for uh, chatting with us today. All right. God bless. Again, you can learn more about Chris Bray. You can purchase his music or book him for your event at his website, chrisbraymusic.com. Here now is Chris Bray with King in His Kingdom from his new album, Joy in My Heart. All those who ran away, all those who've gone astray, and to the prodigals, there is a banquet. All those cast aside, all those filled with pride, and to the longing hearts, there is a banquet. Your invitation is written in his blood, and it says your name. Welcome home, you're no longer alone, the only safe place. We're listening to Chris Bray with King in His Kingdom from his new album, Joy in My Heart. 
And that will take us to the end of our program. You can find out how to get Chris's Bray's album, Joy in My Heart, on our website. Actually, that's where you can uh, listen to the whole show again and again and again. And you can find out how to access all our guests. Right. And that's all at our website, saltandlighttv.org slash radio. All the shows we've ever done are there for free. And they're there for free thanks to you and your financial support of Salt and Light. Especially, we want to thank our monthly donors through the Guardian's program. Your contribution guarantees as a predictable income, which is so important in our planning for the future. And if you are in the United States, you can now donate to us in Canada. It's easy. Find out how at our website, saltandlighttv.org, or write to ask us. Yep, that's it. Thank you for your support. And thanks to those of you who write or come to see me on Facebook. You can also find me on Twitter at Deacon Pedro GM. And at Emmy Callen for me. And Billy is at Bijo Chan. Thank you for being with us. I'm Deacon Pedro. And I'm Emily Callen. And this has been the, the Salt and Light, Light Hour. Hour.